Welcome, everybody, once again to Downstage, the podcast of the San Diego Theater Critics Circle. I'm David Godden. If you're wondering where my co-host, Alejandra Enciso Dardashti, is right now, I have no idea. No, actually, I do know. She will be with us a little bit later in the show. So if if you're tuned in to listen to Alejandra, be patient. She will be here. This is our third episode, and we hope to be building momentum with this show. We really encourage you, if you have been listening and watching, to tell your friends about Downstage. Spread the word. You really are our best publicity. Uh, Over the course of the next few months, we'll be growing the show in many exciting ways. I promise you that. And if you've already become a listener, a regular listener, thank you very much. So what the heck has been going on? Well, one thing I think that has been very interesting is the uh, speculation in San Diego about one of our venues, in fact, the largest theater housing venue in the city, the San Diego Civic Theater, which is in downtown San Diego, and what its future might be. Uh, If you've been following this, you may have read or heard that the land on which the Civic Theater sits it's been there since the 60s, is uh, up for sale. And there's a possibility that there will come an owner, uh, take over that land, and the fate of the Civic Theater might hang in the balance. Now, that's certainly no guarantee, and we hope that doesn't happen. But it does kind of raise the question of what we would do in San Diego without the theater that houses the San Diego Opera, uh, houses uh, the Broadway San Diego National Touring Productions, of shows that come from around the country and stop in San Diego, as well as any other kinds of productions that require a lot of loading space, a lot of backstage space, and of course, a a generous amount of seating. We'll talk a little bit more about that later on when Alejandra joins us, which also raises the question of theaters and their ongoing struggle to find performance spaces. And this is not just a San Diego problem. As I'm sure you know, theater companies have been wrestling with this for a long, long time, especially regional theaters that don't have the resources to either rent or, God forbid, buy a space to uh, stage performances. Um, We could talk about that every week, but it's too depressing a topic. An important one, however, and I think maybe when Alejandra joins us, Later on today, we'll talk some more about that as well. Before we bring on a guest, I just want to pass on a word about a production that I saw just last night in real time. This was at La Jolla Playhouse, which is one of our major presenters in town. Uh, This was a uh, immersive, multidisciplinary production called, Is It Thursday Yet?, and was written, co-written by a dancer-choreographer, Jen Freeman. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with Jen, she uh, is a longtime successful choreographer and dancer uh, and art maker. And this production stemmed from her discovery just a couple of years ago that she has uh, uh, autistic disorder syndrome. And the show is really about her journey to finding the truth about that, and more important, finding herself. Uh, she always knew, even as a child, that you know she something was going on. And this is all recalled in a really fascinating 
an interesting show is it Thursday at, at La Jolla Playhouse. I don't know whether this will have a life beyond the Playhouse, uh, for those of you who may be listening or tuning in from out of town, but I would ask you to keep an eye out for it. Is it Thursday yet? Well, we have an exciting guest this uh, this show, uh, Jim Abair, who is the longtime theater critic for the San Diego Union Tribune, who used to be my employer once upon a time, in fact, Jim, uh, I was an editor, and Jim was one of my writers at one point. So Jim and I will go down memory lane a little, but more important, talk about theater after this break. But David, did you know that this commercial break is available for sponsorship? I did not know that. Well, there you go. So if any of our listeners would like to feature their company and or products, they can send us an email at info at sdcriticcircle.org. O-R-G with the subject line advertising in downstage and we'll take it from there hey it's time for more theater trivia everybody the first broadway musical staged at the san diego civic theater back in june of 1978 was a show that won 10 tony awards and the pulitzer prize for drama it included the memorable song one the answer later in the show Well, I'd like to welcome to Downstage a former colleague and still a friend, uh, Jim Abair, the longtime theater critic for the San Diego Union Tribune. Jim, good to see you and hear you. You too, David. It's uh, great to be here. I really appreciate your, your inviting me. Um, I think I might be one of your charter subscribers. I, I tuned into the very first uh, podcast and uh, was very appreciative to hear my name dropped. Uh, and... Uh, it's really a good listen. I'm so glad you're doing this. Uh, it's a great, uh, a great project for the Critic Circle, and uh, so far it's been great. So, thank you, Jim. I appreciate that. Um, why don't you just kind of you know, orient our listeners and viewers? Tell us what you're doing these days. Yeah. So my uh, my day job is as a content manager at the San Diego Tourism Authority. So I'm kind of like the in-house writer-editor for our owned channels, which means our website and email and um, uh, blogs, things like that. So it's interesting because I'm actually, I actually write about theater occasionally and, and the arts around town because it's become, San Diego has become um, a destination for the arts in a lot of ways. It's become more and more well-known for, you know, the incredible theater presence here uh, as well as a lot of the museums that are kind of, um, uh, you know, museums that have been renovated and are, are uh, getting more high profile, things like the Rady Shell. So um, a lot to talk about and a lot to sort of um, tell visitors to, uh, to come here besides just for the beaches and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, I'm doing that. I'm also uh, chairman of the Encinitas Arts Commission uh, here in my little neck of the woods and um and then i just wrote a play uh weirdly enough which i didn't expect to do but <laughs> it's, that's been a fun adventure so i want to come back and talk about that a little too while you're here but let's start with um your theater criticism career at the union tribune how many years did you do that and in a bigger picture sense 
how did the San Diego theater community and uh, the theaters themselves evolve in the years during your tenure at the UT? Yeah, that's uh, that's a great question. Um, So I was lead theater critic for, I think, 12 years after um, my predecessor, Emery Welsh, who was a founding member of the Critic Circle and just, you know, a legend here um, after she stepped down from the paper. Uh, And before that, um, I was serving as as kind of a backup on the theater beat. So I, I think I actually first wrote a review theater review for the for the UT as far back as like 1995 I I was still uh David you and I were on the copy desk together way back when and and you were my mentors for so many years both on the desk and later on when we were both in the in the arts department in and in night and day um and uh so yeah that that was at a time when I was kind of freelancing while on staff of the paper uh back in the 90s and then um eventually uh took a full-time writing job and then um and then became theater critic and did that until uh, from 2008 until I left in uh 2020 right at the uh start of the pandemic uh so and yeah it was uh a, there was a lot of evolution in that time i i think part of it driven by the changing media landscape you know uh in that window of time was really when um, you know, the ability to post reviews online just became uh, m- much more of a thing. Um, and then at the same time, the, the kind of the print um, print edition, the, the capacity, the space for, for uh, reviews in the print edition of the newspaper was kind of shrinking. So um, it was a lot of adjustment, uh, a lot of learning to write more in a more compact, concise way for print, and also trying to figure out what we could do with these new tools online. Um, and, it, you know, it's it was an amazing time looking back to be doing this work because there was such a um, kind of an upsurge in the profile and in the in just the artistic accomplishment of local theater companies. You know, the uh, the Old Globe and the Playhouse had long been the big names, but the San Diego Rep was doing big, great work. We had new companies coming online like Moxie and New Village Arts and the now uh, sadly gone Ion Theater did a lot of adventurous work. So it was, it was a very fertile, fertile time to be uh, to be writing about theater. And there were uh, many years where there were many years where uh, I know you felt the same way. But you almost wanted to shout to San Diegans and say, you know how good the theater is here yeah. in your city? Because it is more than the Globe and the Playhouse. And yeah. these theaters, I know it's not our job to support theaters, but uh, I think it is our job to make people aware of all the good work that was being done and continues sure. to be done today. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know it's that's so interesting you bring that up. I, I think at one point I wrote a story that basically led by saying, do you know how good you have it here? Because it was a, at a time when the, the uh, theater communications group was having their national convention for the first time in San Diego. You know, it's a big deal nationally. And so, I, so everybody I talked to affiliated with that from around the country was saying, Oh yeah, San Diego is the place where it's happening. And yet in San Diego, you know, you're, you're kind of, you were kind of lucky if, you know, people knew about the globe and the playhouse. And I think that's a thing with, theater in, in general that, you know, it's, it's always been a little bit, 
it's it's always had a little bit of a harder time kind of penetrating the broader culture in some ways, um, at least in terms of people who are really devoted to regular theater going as opposed to, you know, everybody hears about Hamilton and wants to go see it, which is fantastic. But it's really the the work being done year in and year, in and year out, you know, by, by companies big and small that uh, that people I think we're really missing out on. And I think that's changed to some extent. I think, you know, people are getting more wise to uh, to what has what is happening here. It's obviously been difficult post pandemic, which is a whole separate topic. I mean, it's just been it's a whole new landscape. But um, but yeah, uh, you know, I'm still uh, I'm still amazed at how much. I mean, I still go to theater. I still go to quite a bit of it, and it's just amazing to see what's out there. So, yeah. what's it like? You mentioned a few moments ago about writing a play. I know you've had readings of the play, um, mm-hmm. and I know you'd like to see it produced. Obviously, what's it like writing for the stage after all those years <laughs> of writing about the stage? Yeah, it's so interesting because I I would find I, I'm sure you've had this experience where you, um, you know, you see a new play and you and you reflect on the fact that somebody somebody came up with these this storyline and these characters they were sort of invented from someone's imagination, and then it goes under a page, and then suddenly real people are becoming these fictional people that you created. And I would sometimes find myself wondering, like, what is that like? You know, you you sort of put these people out in the world, and suddenly they kind of exist. You know, you you have actors who are who are inhabiting these characters and speaking the lines that you you know came up for them, or or the, or that they sort of planted in your head. You know, if you want to be mystical about it, about the idea that these characters are sort of inserting themselves in into your imagination. But um, so it was kind of the first time that this play had a reading, uh, which was with this uh, great local group called Script Teasers, play development group. It was kind of an out-of-body experience to, um, you know, to have these great actors, and I'm going to name drop them because I'm so appreciative of them. Uh, Susan Clausen, who does a ton of theater around town and is also a a great um, uh, media communi- uh, communications person and uh, Richard Trujillo, who has is an educator and an equity actor, an amazing guy. So just to have them, you know, uh, inhabit these characters was was really just very trippy in a in a cool way, I guess. <laughs> um, Let me shift gears for a moment, Jim, and ask you something that. Uh, we've covered on the podcast before uh, Alejandra and Erin uh, Marie Ryder, the president of the Critics Circle, and I, about criticism in general and what it is. Um, what do you think, with all of your experience, what do you think makes effective theater criticism and, and good theater criticism? Well, I'll say one important thing is a great editor, which I had in Mr. David Cotton. I was always appreciative of that. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I think, you know, when, when people, when this topic would come up of what what criticism means or, or what a critic's role is, I I came to think, I came to believe that, you know, here you are at a at an event that has a very limited 
amount of live participation. You know, a theater can only hold so many people. So you're with a, a pretty, even at the biggest theaters, you're with a, you know, a kind of, a, in the scheme of things, like in the population of San Diego, you're with a, a pretty small percentage of people who are actually seeing this performance. And yet you are chronicling it for everybody in the in the readership of the newspaper. And so I, I kind of felt as though my role was to be the witness or the stand-in for all the people who couldn't be there and, and see this show. And to me, that meant, um, you know, I think people hear criticism and they immediately think of, you know, opinions, which obviously that's, um, that's what you're there for, is to render kind of a um, analysis and um, provides critical thoughts about a piece. But I always felt it was equally important to kind of give a sense of what it was like to be at that performance, a kind of a visceral sense. What the, I mean, theater is such a sensory medium. It's everything. It's, it's sound, it's uh, lighting, it's the performances. It's, there's so much, it's such a dynamic form that I felt it was important to really try to be as descriptive as possible to, to just give us as vivid a sense as possible, of what, as possible of what it was like to be, at that performance, which is going to be like no other performance any other night. Um, but then, of course, to do that on deadline and in a small space. So <laughs> a few uh, few variables, a few limiting factors there. But at <laughs> risk of asking kind of a kumbaya question, um, what do you love about theater, Jim? We all love theater. We wouldn't be doing this podcast. But what do you love about theater? Man, you know, uh, one thing this is this being having this experience of of writing a, a play and having it get some readings around town has reminded me that one thing i love is just the, the people involved because i mean uh, you know that might sound like a little bit of a cliche but the it's it really is incredible to me the passion that the artists involved in this in this form of creativity the passion that they bring to it even though you know, it's often, uh, it's not, it's not like a road to riches for people. It's not, um, you know, a lot of times, um, it's, it's not getting as much attention as one might hope. And yet, you know, the, the people are just so, um, and you know, and I'm talking about everybody, actors and, and, um, directors and craftspeople are, are just so, um, genuinely, um, ardently in love with this art form and and so and and have such belief in its power um and i yeah so i i really that that really um that really affects me because um there's so much else out there that could be drawing people's attention and and um i don't know it's just yeah i i just appreciate that people believe in theater so much um uh, and beyond that, I'll just say quickly, you know, uh, the one of the obvious things is just the fact that it's live, that as I was mentioning before, you know, you, you're never seeing the same thing twice. So there's that kind of element of the unexpected, I guess. You never quite know what's going to happen that particular night. You know, I remember crazy performance at Signet Theater one time where someone's cell phone went off and it turned into this whole drama. The guy of, answered it. Remember the guy answered yes, it. Yes, yeah, you were. That's right. <laughs> I, 
I mean, talk about it's funny. I don't want to go on a digression, but it was such an interesting demonstration to me of what actors talk about when they can kind of feel the audience, because in that moment, you could almost there was almost a palpable, like almost a rage, you know, everybody in the theater kind of directing their ire at this one poor man who I, I guess didn't realize he shouldn't be not only leaving his phone on, but having a conversation <laughs> while the actors are on stage. It was just uh, and you could just kind of feel the, the you know, the energy <laughs> there. So we'll have to have you back Jim, and just do a whole show on things that have happened in the theater. Oh, man, that's you a great idea. That. that would be, that would be uh, very, very fun. You're that's right. Your that's one. That's one of the attractions is it's live and it's not scripted, you know, yeah. so to speak. And it is unpredictable. Yeah. And and just to echo what sure. you said, a lot of the appeal to me as well is that the theater community, the people in that community, whether you're at a big theater with a lot of money or it's a small regional theater operating on a shoestring, these people do it because they love it. You know, yeah. whether they're on yeah. stage or they're behind the scenes or they they do it because they love it. Yeah. Well, Jim, I, I it's think been a pleasure having you. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, um, absolutely. So great to see you. you back. We will have you back really soon. Before we go to break, Jim, tell us the name of your your play to be. Oh, yes. Thank you. <laughs> it's my time for a plug. It's called... Uh, B-17. It's not about World War II bombers or bingo, but it does come, it's a big hint, it comes from a, a lyric in, a, in an Olivia Newton-John song, so that it kind of sets the, I don't know, it all fits into the plot somehow, but uh, yeah. Uh, uh, bingo, America's game. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> Another trivia question. What were the first couple of Broadway musicals produced in Mexico and presented in Spanish? Answer later in the show. Welcome back. Thanks again to Jim Abair for joining us and enlightening us. Always a pleasure to see and hear from Jim. Always a pleasure to see and hear from Alejandra, who is now joining hey. us. <laughs> Hi, Jim. I'm sorry I missed you. Oh, well. <laughs> That's what happens, you know, when you run late, right? <laughs> Better late than not. That's for sure. Well, exactly. You, as, as always. So I was talking earlier in the show, Alejandra, about the fate of the Civic Theater um, downtown San Diego and what that might hold. I know that you've reached out to... Broadway San Diego, which is a presenter at that theater. What did you find out? Well, I reached out to uh, various presenters uh, at San Diego theaters, which is the Civic and Balboa. Uh, Broadway San Diego is not um, commenting at this time, but I did hear from other sources like they would say, right, in the, in the, in, in like, in saying Spanish, the pink magazines. But I heard from other sources, there were people that said that there's still like a five year grace period for, uh, the Civic. Uh, another person said, I don't trust anybody or anything at this point. And then another source said it was about the bid, which, 
that's what we read about in the UT piece that it's about this bid and that there was it was over, but they it has they have extended that period for the bid. What I can tell you personally is that I I don't I, I think that San Diego is being industrialized and it's just being a uh like city to live in. It's just about condos and apartments and things like that and they're tearing down everything just to build living spaces and and I think that's really sad because you know you take out the culture you take out the performances the tours and what are we it's it's uh it makes me sick to be honest it, it I am truly upset with this situation my so hopefully yeah yeah my my message for people listening and watching us from out of town is if you want to live in San Diego, bring your wallet. <laughs> oh my God. You know, the housing situation is chaotic and it's expensive. I mean, it really is. Um, but to your point, yeah. the art and culture is really important to any thriving city and it, mm -hmm. it shouldn't compromised at the expense of you know, finding housing. Now, housing is important, absolutely. But if, if you don't know downtown San Diego, you know that it's, it's a, a hotbed of construction, not for office space, of course, but for residential housing, which is not particularly affordable either. So the whole thing seems somewhat counterintuitive to me. Exactly. I mean, oh, my God. We're 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 not gonna have tour touring shows anymore. We're not gonna have Broadway anymore. Like, how's that gonna look like? And uh, economy wise, I mean, it brings a lot to the city. So yeah, I I don't understand the numbers. Like we said in previous episodes, we don't have a theater company. Well, you know, we're not in government or whatnot. But still, I mean, like you said, it's pretty counter counterintuitive. So yeah, yeah. And for those of if I had, you know, I would build a theater. With the pit that they need. <laughs> yeah, I'd give me the money if I had it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, this is a problem. The civic theater is one issue. Uh, another issue, which, of course, is ongoing, is the theater companies and other arts organizations, dance companies, etc., in in our city who struggle to find performance space or even rehearsal space. Um, that's a, It's a related but another important issue. Yeah, totally. I've heard... Um, Again, I see people that don't have, for example, again, the means to go and present their show at the Civic, but it's big enough that it needs the dressing rooms, again, the pit and things like that. So they have to like downsize or adapt to go to a smaller space like the Balboa, for example, things like that, that... um I don't think should be an issue to present a show. I think it should be more like what's going on now, the strikes, you know, lighting. I don't know, things that really matter, not necessarily a space. And Ultimately, it all comes down to this, right? It comes down, i got my hand up there. It comes down to the dinero uh, and, you know, there just isn't enough of that out there to support performance spaces for people who need it. Now we've seen some growth to be fair. Liberty Station has provided uh, venues for dance companies in San Diego. And again, locals know that Signet Theater is moving 
from Old Town next year, I believe, 2024, to a new space uh, in Liberty Station, Point Loma, which they're, I understand they're going to have to share with, to some extent with the, some of these dance companies. So there is some movement, but it does bring to light the issue of whether some of these smaller companies, be they theater or dance, can even survive without a place to present what they want to do. And I don't know the answer to that, Alejandra. I really don't. <laughs> you do, you're the answer, woman. I am the answer. Well, well, well you know, it, it, honestly, they need to stop doing this situation. They, they need to look for other areas. San Diego is not big enough, but it is big enough <laughs> to dig in other areas for housing. And if, if they have, a, like they say now, dated old spaces, well, that's not up to destroying living, breathing, uh, performing arts uh, places in order to, you know, you don't patch something with like a bigger patch. <laughs> you have to do it from scratch. And that comes from, I'm going to go all political now, like taxes <laughs> and our money. And that should be, it's a guarantee. It should be, you know, it's part of our guarantees as citizens. So it has to be there. I, I, I don't, I don't think it's another answer to, oh my God, there's going to be a huge condo building there instead of, or a new brand, shiny city hall. I, I really don't think that's going to make a difference. Like the performing arts have. And I think Signet is going to be in uh, Liberty Station in 2025, I believe. Okay. So they still have uh, places to go. But yeah, uh, I guess that the creativity is going to have to keep going and figure out other spaces, like we said in the other episodes, like churches and, yeah. you know, different venues that allow them to perform and with whatever that comes, you know, as long as they put out the show. One more thing about the Civic Theater before we go on to something else. You know, when, when the California Center for the Arts, which is in Escondido, about 35 miles north of San Diego, when they, when they opened in the mid-90s and built this, among other things, this beautiful theater, the Center Theater, I believe it's called. You know, for years that went, in my mind, wasted with, you know, really second-rate entertainment in there. In the last few years, the CCAE Theatricals has brought in some really wonderful performances and high production values. And that theater, I used to always say, and I still say this, it's too bad they can't pull it out of the ground, put it on a truck, and bring it down to San Diego proper, because it really is a lovely theater. The Civic, I, I certainly don't want it to go away, but it is an old barn of a building that's kind of seen better days. Um, mm -hmm. And so unlikely, per your comments, that we're going to build a new theater that uh, it, it creates this kind of dilemma that we're stuck in. No disrespect to Escondido, by the way. I'm I'm glad you have a wonderful theater and we're not trying to take it away. <laughs> we're just jealous. Exactly. Exactly. It is about jealousy 100% because you're like, you know, these other places have these spaces and San Diego is like, hi, like what's happening? So I totally get it. All right. It, comes from, a, it comes from a place of appreciation. Okay. <laughs> We have good intentions. We even have good intentions in spite of what we're going to talk about right now before we wrap up today. 
Alejandra and I, of course, go to the theater a lot and have been doing so a lot. And in addition to the talent we see and the productions that we see and write about, you can't help but notice that we're among a crowd of theater goers. And mm -hmm. trying to say this delicately, we have some suggestions for all you theater goers out there um, that fall into the category of appropriateness and consideration uh, of others and just being a good theater going patron. So again, I'm not, we're not trying to be mean spirited or critical. This is all meant to be constructive and I hope a little fun. You start. What would you like to see among our theater goers in San Diego? Well, I <laughs> I have several peeves, and I am a peeve person. You're a peeve person. Uh, yeah, my husband's always like, "You should relax." I'm like, "No, no." <laughs> uh, theater spaces to me are sacred. While a performance is happening, it's a sacred moment, and just. The rappers, the talking, the phones, it just drives me insane, right? So first of all, etiquette-wise, your chair in front of you, yeah, that's not like a paddle board, you know, or a kicking board. Like, there's people sitting there, right? I always get, I have this luck where I always get the kickers. So I'm always like doing a choreography during the show because they're kicking, kicking, kicking. And I am those, you know, one of those people that go around and say, excuse me, can you stop kicking my seat, please? Uh, okay, thank you. I Because uh, it, it drives me, I, when I kick someone, I'm like, oh my God, I'm sorry. Because sometimes it's a small space and when people are really tall, they can't deal. And that's why I don't suffer as much because I'm short. And that's the other thing. I can't see most of the time. I'm always blocked by a head, a hair, something. I always have to like, so I'm always doing a choreo while I'm, I'm watching a show. But I think that uh, just thinking about your fellow people, that would be great. The phone, seriously, when they tell you to turn it off or silence it, like do it. We hear alarms all the time during a performance aside from the ringing and beeping and it's like, it does disrupt the magic of theater. And I know you have a couple too. <laughs> I, I do. And, and I know I'm going to be accused of being a terrible snob. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. Uh, I'll support, I'll support. Okay, thank you folks. I know it's San Diego. I know it's casual, but please think a little before you get dressed to go to the theater. I'm not saying women have to wear dresses and <laughs> have to wear neckties, I'm not going that far. There may have been a day when that was the case, it probably was. But do not look it was. like you just rolled out of a nap when you walk into the theater. You know, flip-flops are great in a lot of places in San Diego. I've got my own, but I wouldn't wear them to the theater. You know, outdoors at Moonlight and Vista, or even at the Globes Outdoor Festival stage, the rules are a little bit different, or at least the decorum is a little bit different. But you know, try to make yourselves a little more presentable 
I'm an anti-ball cap guy at the theater yeah. indoors. I think that looks like you're going to Denny's. No offense. <laughs> no offense to Denny's, by the way. Guys, leave the ball caps off, right? You know? They also might get in Alejandra's way when she's trying to see. Well, that's the other thing. Don't wear a huge hat yeah. to the theater either. It's it's not about how you look. It's about blocking the view. So you're wearing like a this huge like beach hat or no, it's a no for me, folks. No. Or take I'm it off. Gonna, I'm not going to go any further on dress code because people will come after me. <laughs> so, but I will say something too about, you know, decorum, you know, coming and going, most theaters will not let you, if you arrive late, will not let you come in until there's kind of a natural break in the performance where it doesn't disrupt people. Not everybody can do that. And, uh, you know, try, I know it's sometimes it's not easy to get to a place on time, but please be mindful of your fellow patrons when you uh, come in late. Uh, so you don't distract and, and disturb. And by all means, if you don't like a production, which is certainly your right, you know, wait until the intermission to leave. If it's a one act, no intermission show, then I would encourage you to bite the bullet and get through it best you can. I know that's not easy. I've sat through some 90 minute shows that I wish I hadn't gone to, but it, it's not only distracting, but it's disrespectful to the people putting on the show. You're not at the movies, folks. You're not at the movies where you can come and go as you please. Remember, it is a live event with live performers, and we want to show them our respect and our courtesy, regardless of what we think of the show. Now, I will say this, just so we don't come off as scolds. Um, for the most part, I think people are pretty good at the theater. It's, it's not like every show I go to, I come home and tell my wife, you should have seen what I, what I saw. <laughs> it happens now and again, but for the most part, I think people are pretty good. We just want to give you these little reminders, folks, right? Absolutely. I, it's a consideration issue. You have to, again, consider your fellow people. And I do have to say, um, I think it was, and I told you this, in, at Diversionary, I had a man sitting in front of me with a hat and I hadn't even noticed. I was like, you know, cause then you come and you say hello to everybody and it's very fun before the show. And he said, excuse me, would you like me to take my hat off? Does it block you? And I was like, oh my, I wanted to hug him. I'm like, oh my God, sir, thank you so much. No one has ever asked me this question before. So yes, there are nice people that do take this into consideration. So it's just, it's, it's a matter of common sense and consideration, really. Public, service announcement. public service announcement brought to you by the co-host. The more you know. <laughs> Bling. Well, it's been a pleasure, uh, Alejandra. Next time you'll be with me the whole time. So I don't have to get out there and wing it by myself. Terror time. Yeah, I'm sure you did a wonderful job. <laughs> Again, our thanks to Jim Abair for joining uh, me today. Uh, and we will be back in a couple of weeks with much more scolds. No, I mean, much, much more entertainment, I hope, and enlightenment on Downstage. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for joining us. See you next time. Bye-bye.
And our other trivia question for the day, the first Broadway musical staged at the Civic Theater downtown San Diego in June of 1978, a show that won 10 Tony Awards and the Pulitzer Prize for Drama. It included the memorable song, One, and the answer, of course, is a chorus line. And the answer to today's trivia questions, what were the first couple of Broadway musicals produced in Mexico and presented in Spanish? The first one, Ring Ring, Llama el Amor, which is Bells Are Ringing, written by Betty Comden and Adolph Green. This was in 1958. And then the following year, 1959, Mi Bella Dama. Can you guess what that is? My Fair Lady by Frederick Lowe and Alan J. Lerner. Downstage is a production of the San Diego Theater Critics Circle. The co-hosts, David Cotton and Alejandra Enciso Nardashti.